I am not Neil Cordray. Neil has been duct taped and thrown into duct taped and thrown into a closet because we're taking over the podcast. Who am I? I am the one true Ben. And this week I am joined by our special guest, Greg, and producer Mike. Hello. All right. So, what are we doing this week, producer Mike? Well, this week we are going to be talking about classic science fiction, or sci-fi, as the kids call it these days. And uh, before we get into that, uh, the topic proper, I'm going to do the month in geek, because it's been a minute since we've really covered uh, current recent geek events and announcements and such, and a lot has happened. So we'll just kind of dive right into it here. I'll, I'll kick things off. Uh, been some major conventions lately, obviously uh, SDCC, San Diego Comic-Con, yes, and Gen Con <laughs> more recently. Yeah, so, yeah, that's that's like like its own Weekend Geek topic. Yes. <laughs> you know, Gen Con happened. <laughs> now that, you know, it's 2018 and geek stuff is chic stuff, there's pretty much always some convention or note happening, but these are the big, the big ones, the big, like, you know, marquee conventions yeah. with the original, because uh, now there's like, you know, every time you uh, take a step, you... Uh, trip over a new Comic Con, you know, right? You met, <laughs> like yeah, local, regional, or what have you. But San Diego Comic Con is the granddaddy of them all. This week, the Duluth Comic Con, yeah, yeah, exactly. Wasilla, Alaska Comic Con, right? Um, so, <laughs> before we get into some specific stuff, we have already uh, checked out here. Um, is there any general stuff, any uh, general impressions of the cons of, of either of those cons or stuff that happened there that you guys want to mention? Gen Con was huge this year. It doesn't show any signs of getting any smaller from what I've seen. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, not, not uh, San Diego Comic Con, of course, is still the, the display piece, but upcoming is Dragon Con. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of ascendant. And as, as great as, uh, as San Diego Comic-Con and the kind of, you know, tangential um, ones are, which is kind of like, to use the analogy, it's kind of like you've got Broadway and there's Off-Broadway and there's Off-Off-Broadway. That's kind of how it is with the <laughs> with the term or title Comic-Con. You have the, yeah. the branding for, like, the original and a couple, like, you know, other shows that are basically on par with it. And then you have, like, that gets smaller and smaller as it goes down the tier. <laughs> yeah, you get very, uh, various numbers of off which in front It's of not it. to say, you know, I'm not looking down my nose at any of the smaller cons. Some of the coolest cons are smaller because you can kind of have that unique flavor yeah. of when it's smaller and more direct. You know, you can kind of focus on stuff that's important for people. But yeah. uh, I just do want to point out that San Diego Comic-Con, great as it is, um, it has gotten so big and gotten so diffused with, like, what is a thing there, what is a panel or whatever, that it does kind of, like, lose some of the focus sometimes. There's other conventions that might be better for people that are interested in, you know, in specific, specific things. things. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Because there are, yeah, it's like Rule 34, you know, if it exists, there's a con of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a corollary. Yeah, I think the 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 thing that's most interesting to me that's coming out of the out of the con circuit just here recently is actually something. The okay, how can I put this? It's actually more about what isn't there than what is there, and namely, Marvel is being very closed mouthed about it's about things. Uh-huh. Beyond where they where they where they where they've already gone. So do you just mean in general or like comic specifically? Um, both and both and not both and neither to an extent. Um, like for example, why in the world are they being so secretive about Captain Marvel? I don't know. No trailers. Uh, no, actually, they're probably still filming it. I think that's part of it is that they don't want to put their foot in their mouth because um, you've seen in the last 
you know, fewish years, or at least there's been a lot more publicity on it. There have been major movies that have had like reshoots and stuff, and some things change. You know, when I announce something, then it changes, and then also um, that can be it can generate negative buzz. Because yeah. uh, and it's funny because you know sometimes the the buzz is accurate, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Like uh, I think a good example is. Um, well, there's a couple good examples to kind of show that distinction. There's Rogue One. It had reshoots. Amazing movie. Huge success. We're, mm-hmm. You know, regardless of where you rank it or how much you enjoyed the movie, you can't argue with its financial success, right? Right. But people are like, oh my gosh, reshoots. I don't know about this. Now, on the other hand, Solo, super underperformed. Downright bombed as far as, like, the budget for the movie and the marketing and what its expectations were. Uh, I really enjoyed the movie, but it did not do so well. Um, now, you know, when you had all the all the stuff there, change the director and all, like, some of that buzz was actually warranted, you know? Yeah, and, so, but it still didn't affect it as a good movie, and that's the thing I think that they're trying to avoid yeah. by keeping closed mouth on it. Of course, you know... Be, I mean, you know, it's it's only... It's all speculation, ultimately, right? You know, these yeah. are just educated In guesses. The but the I, problem is, though, that the, the lack of communication about the film is in and of itself generating negative buzz. Yeah, because in the Because people of, go, yeah. what are they hiding? Yeah, well, I, mean, I think it's a little early to consider. I mean, yeah, you, you gotta, I, I think I think you're also going to get a lot of the what I call the you know the toxic fanboy syndrome. Right, right. You know, no matter what happens, we have to remember we are uh, we are we bleed geek. We are not the average mainstream butt in a seat. So most people, we have a skewed perspective. There might you might see a lot of negative buzz, but that's within the specific circles of people that are already like you know speculating and looking <coughs> into a movie that comes out like way down the line. Yeah. Uh, so I do agree that you do have to have some kind of communication from time to time, just to kind of like hold the hand, as it were, for the people that like the fan base, like the diehards and whatnot. But uh, at the same time, it is easy to have a skewed perspective because we're all seeing it within that. You know, realm. Within, we're not, the, we're not the average John Q. public, you know? Right, right. We are, you know, we are geek fanthology. But yes, sometimes no news is bad news because people fill in the gaps with their own insecurities and fears about it, and then, you know, yeah. it can generate negative buzz, sure. Yeah. So what else we have going on the, week, uh, uh, the month in geek, I should say? Well, uh, before we move on here, I was going to mention... Um, I'm, I, as I mentioned before in the podcast, I'm a huge Critical Role fan. And of course, I'm a huge D&D fan in general, so of course, those things overlap. Right. Um, Gen Con, they did their live show Gen Con again this year, and it was oh. amazing. Um, it's great. And for people that aren't, you know, true believers or just interested in checking out the live show, it's free on YouTube. You don't have to subscribe to their, you know, Twitch or whatever. Um and they do have their own YouTube channel now, Critical Role, on, on YouTube, which, by the way, I looked at it, and it was like 118K subscribers, and it's only existed for like maybe a month or two. Yeah. Geek and Sundry, the, the channel that they started their show on, which they still aired on, but they have their own studio and channel now, has like 1.8, uh, yeah, about, uh, oh, no, wait a minute, was it 1.8? Anyway, it was about 10 times as many, so yeah, probably about 1.8 million. Anyway, point is... They already have like 10% of the parent channel subscriber within a couple months, right. so that is extremely impressive. Yeah. And uh, what was really cool is uh, for all the cosplay enthusiasts out there, um, Matt Mercer, the DM for Critical Role, he is actually really big into cosplay before he didn't have the time slash money slash energy when he started really fully dedicating himself to his voice acting career, and it's still an, it's still an interest of his, and he really enjoys seeing all the stuff and cons. They uh, his they had a team of people do him up as an NPC that he had in the in the current campaign is a furbolg so he has like the little like brownish tipped nose and the blue skin the prosthetics the ears and everything and he was oh. doing his character voice and everything and he just kind of like showed up randomly during the weekend 
at the uh, at their booth. They have their own booth. It wasn't just a panel this time, so that's another thing of note. And it was cool because they they set designed it as like the shop, the magic item shop from the current campaign. Oh, and he was the proprietor awesome. of said shop, so people were like buying merch and hanging out and talking to CR folks at the booth. And he just kind of showed up and was like, "Oh hey, how's it going?" And then, like <laughs> did his whole shtick for a few minutes and like you know took some pictures and stuff. So. That was kind of cool because there's some new firsts, you know, uh, with the surprise appearance and the booth and all that. Right. Um, and just, you know, things, and that's kind of a, a growing trend is, like, live shows and performances and stuff at Gen Con. So if, you, if you're a big fan of a particular, like, you know, channel or cast or whatever, then it's worth checking out. Because sometimes there's stuff there you'll see uh, that's right. exclusive well, I like to the, that. I like that D&D is becoming a performance art. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, Critical Role and other high-profile prog- uh, podcasts like uh, High Rollers and Adventure Zone and stuff has been kind of a, a big part of that. Um, so, yeah, that was that was my big takeaway from Gen Con. Um, oh, and SDCC, they had the, uh, the Aquaman uh, trailer. So people who are interested in that um, should check it out. I found, I found it kind of <laughs> interesting that I, I watched... Um, I watched that HBO show back in the day, Entourage, mm-hmm. and one of the things, one of the plot points of the show was that um, the star uh, was going to star in this Aquaman movie, and back then it was all, like, yeah. farcical and stuff, and this was before the MCU really took off, right? So it's funny looking back on it now, as we've come full circle where it was kind of a joke at the time, and now it's actually a thing. And <laughs> Yeah. Well, speaking <laughs> of know. trailers, we've all said the Venom trailer come out. Yes, yes. Uh, we had... The second trailer, to be precise. Yeah. Uh, there have been two. Um, Spleens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many snaps. Well, technically, so I guess you have, the, you have the teaser and then the two proper trailers. So you went from almost no costume to seeing some of them to seeing a lot of them in the latest one. Yeah, and to see only his face as the mask peels away. Yeah. Um, has anyone else been able to confirm this? I'm hearing that the on-again, off-again Dark Phoenix is on-again... As in, they are actually planning on releasing it. I'm not sure. I've, I've heard. I've heard it. Uh, I've heard it both ways. As Sean Spencer from Psych would say, um, yeah, it's been kind of you know a lot of rumors with that. I'm not sure personally. I haven't yeah, really, yeah. honestly, I haven't been following too much because um, I just haven't really been like. Aside from Logan, I've kind of checked out of the whole like X franchise with movies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> So, uh, see what else we have in, in trailers. Yeah, there's the uh, Doom Eternal trailer, which I know Neil's excited about. He's a big fan of the latest uh, Doom game, which looks really good, and I'm definitely going to play at some point, but I haven't got around to yet. Um, now, that does this one does kind of excite me, too, specifically, because it is essentially... Uh, the impression I got was that it was going to kind of be like a... Um, like a current iteration of Doom 2, which is the one I played all the time back in the day. So I, my brother's friend had the game and hooked us up, and uh, I still have the, the a lot of the Chico's memorized, IDKFA, IDDQD, ID Clip, all that stuff, you know. <laughs> ID Software, of course, is the joke there, because, you know, mm-hmm. ID Software, so they have all their codes start with ID, but yeah, it looked pretty awesome. There's a trailer for it and some some basic info. Um, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Yes, the now that one has been delayed about a million times, right. but I'm perfectly okay with that as long as it uh, as long as it lives up to the hype. Because I love the first game and the second yeah. one looks amazing. You're looking at the gameplay uh, clip that's on YouTube it was like twenty some odd minutes, I think. Oh yeah, it I looked didn't know it was that amazing. Long. Yeah, it looked great. And okay. uh, yeah, what else we have? Uh, well, there's the new Star Trek series with Captain Picard, or yeah. assuming he's Captain Picard. We'll see, right. I guess. Yeah. I'm not sure what his rank will be when he... Uh, yeah, Admiral Picard. <laughs> he's that, yeah, we'll yeah. see. 
Uh, well, they did say that he was going to, I think they did confirm that he's going to at least at some point be, like, captaining the Enterprise or something. So I don't know if it starts that way or what happens with it, but right. all we know for sure so far is there's going to be a new to-be-named Star Trek series soon. Patrick Stewart will reprise, reprise the role as Picard right. and, uh, and start it, and that's about it. Right. Uh, let's see. We have Shazam trailer. Shazam well. trailer, yes. Um, I didn't really. I I, I was just kind of like, okay, that's a thing, and shrugged my shoulders when I heard about the uh, about the movie being announced. But then when I found out that Zachary Levi is going to be Shazam, I'm like, hmm, that could be fun. That yeah. kind of reminds me of like uh, the Paul Rudd as Ant Man kind of thing, right? Where yeah. you kind of take something and you have kind of a playful vibe to it, and uh, you know, it might be a little bit less like. Uh, although I could be completely wrong about this, it could be a little bit less um, formulaic as opposed to the typical well, yeah, like, MCU movies. What it looks like to me is a, a superhero version of Big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely a trope because because yeah. they have they have the the buddy type thing going on with two kids of the same age, right? And then suddenly one of them turns into a superhero, just like one of them turning into an, an adult superhero. Yeah, yeah. You know. So yeah, I think it's. <clears throat> I, it looks like it's going to be because if they can get the same kind of performance out of out of uh, Zachary Levi, yeah, 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 it's like, uh, they can get the same kind of performance out of him if they got out of Tom Hanks big, right? Yeah, uh, that could they, be if you'll forgive me, big. Yeah, that could be that could be just amazing. So yeah, that's cool, and you know, I mean, there's something to be said for uh, having the kind of like uh, classic childlike wonder and awe with the whole you know Super. heroism and stuff kind of like the original Superman movie where it's like uh, it's, it's kind of hard to like capture the same kind of magic sometimes yeah um, the uh, yeah so that looks interesting um, I'm at least cautiously optimistic there um, and uh, let's see we have uh, well that pretty much covers the, the main stuff there um, okay a little bit under on time there so we can add some things if you want or just get right into the main topic uh did anybody else have anything uh that they wanted to touch on from either the cons or just general recent um events or announcements um i know a few people who went to gen con and they were just amazed and just loved it so like i said gen con seems to be improving looking forward to dragon con uh, this year coming. Well, you're, you, what, what we can do is uh, take a little moment to just kind of talk about cons, recent cons, cons in general, because you're kind of the expert, you know, having <laughs> right. been to many, uh, peddling your wares and generally yeah. being gregarious. Well, yeah, Gen Con, I think Gen Con has learned, has uh, appears to have streamed on a lot of its stuff, because yeah. I heard no, because black people, they're peddling merch and they had no complaints that I could see. That's good. Uh, another big one that I'm thinking that I need to hit next year uh, is ArmadilloCon down in Texas. <laughs> I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that that is an amazing name. Yeah. And and I'm utterly unsurprised that it's in Texas. Yeah, it's a huge <laughs> thing. Uh, my friend Marguerite Reed, uh, author of Archangel, mm-hmm. was there and just absolutely raved about it. Cool. So as a, you know, as a guest, as a, you know, or just being there, uh, it's it's a it's a really good uh, literary con. That's good. Uh, so you know if you if you're interested in books or sci-fi, you know as a topic as opposed to you know um, just the movie side of things, right? Because there is that level of fandom that you know that loves that, right? Um, but I think it you know it kind of expands beyond that. And that's good to see. There's a good example of that because uh, when it comes to stuff like books. 
um, you know, you don't have the visual splashy stuff for the advertising marketing folks to be like, hey, look right. at all this stuff. So they're not going to be so as lot, naturally yeah. enthused. So yeah. a lot of that is a groundswell of underground or, you know, community um, right, right. situation. Well, I was just thinking, um, you brought up books and given our topic this week, and I don't have the, the exact dates mm-hmm. uh, to give. But books two and three in the canon Buck Rogers continuation book series are due out later this year. Well, I didn't know Buck Rogers was still a thing. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. The original Buck Rogers. There's one already out um, called Lo, the Rings of Saturn. I've read it. It's fantastic. It almost mm-hmm. perfectly captures the uh, the essence of the uh, of the. Uh, Gerard. I don't really have any direct in, uh, experience with the Buck Rogers stuff. I've only seen it like referenced and parodied in like old cartoons and stuff. Right. Like that's the, that's right. the only no. extent of my experience. Uh, oh God's and sakes, Mike! Have you got a DVD pl- DVD player? Uh, yes, indeed. I'll lo- I'll loan you I'll loan you one of my sets. Cool. Um, yeah, I do need yeah. to get caught up on some of the classics. Yeah, it, which it's is our theme today. Much, it's very much an '80s uh, series, and it. Uh, Greg has reviewed the Buck Rogers, uh, the first Buck Rogers book. Um, did you review that? Where is that? Um, it, I think it was in Star Frontiersman fanzine, which has since Star been Frontier. shut down, ah, unfortunately. Well, we're going to get you a website or a blog. Um, anyways, um, so, yeah, and, and the thing is, is I think today's topic kind of feeds into yeah. conventions. Sure. Because it was the conventions that kept Star Trek alive. Right. Yeah, I was going to say that they, uh, they kind of um, passed the torch quite often, right? Exactly, you know, exactly. The, uh, more you know, word of mouth and friends getting other friends excited about it, and then as time goes on, even passing it on to kids and stuff, especially right. with things like Star Trek. Well, and, and it's the conventions, I think, that show producers and TV series people and things like that where interest is. Right. Uh, right. Because, I, you know, after Trek ended in, what, 1965, the original Trek? Uh, no. Um, 67? No. Um, okay. It didn't, it didn't even go on the air until after the moon landing, did it? Uh, um, I don't know. But after the track went off the off the air, original track, because mm-hmm. I was conflating Doctor Who's start with Star, the Star Trek original series. Um, anyways, after it went off the air, um, fanzines started, and then those fanzines generated uh, generated conventions and then that led to other conventions of right. all sight of all sorts and that I think is what kept a lot of sci-fi alive during the drier spell of the late 70s um, or, or I'm sorry in the early 70s between 70 and 77 76 77 when Star Wars came out and then also uh, kind of serves the um, serves the function of uh, having some sort of uh, structure pre-internet, mm-hmm. and then when the internet became a thing that was actually used, um, you mm-hmm. know, res- you know, commercially and stuff, residentially, um, mm-hmm. not for specialized use anymore. Then you already had those communities and conventions and stuff. So then it's a natural transition into getting those, like web rings, is what they used to call them back when the internet yeah. was very uh, yeah. new. <laughs> we have a bunch of pre- a bunch of sites linked once you got into one. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting, and we could definitely do an episode or two on just that whole idea of the history or and or evolution of uh, of fandoms. 
and stuff because, yeah. like you said, it started with just small grassroots kind of stuff and, and it grew into conventions and conventions, be, you know, they, they multiplied and became bigger and then it kind of transitioned into early internet stuff and then you have the web rings and blogs and sites and then and now, uh, everybody's now social it. media and yeah. you know, where we're at now. Yeah, know. and everybody has a convention now, no matter the fandom. But I think sci-fi fandoms, again, pioneered yeah. you know, something new with that. Um, this is a great thing about uh, the Week in Geek or Month in Geek segment as it is today is we can often organically come up with, hey, that's a great, that's an episode. That's a couple episodes. <laughs> There's an episode. You need to write that shit exactly. Um, so, I'm way ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, as I say. Uh, so, which also kind of leads us, I think we've covered pretty much the Month in Geek, right? Yeah, yeah. I think okay. that's that's good. That's a good note to end on. We have some ideas to kind of plant that seed there, tease okay. a little. So, that, that's also a good point where we can lead into... Uh, you know, come, we're going to revive an old segment. What is Neil drinking? Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> cough medicine. Uh, reason the real reason Neil isn't uh, isn't hanging out with us today. He actually is. He's the one who set us up. So, uh, you know, we have to give props to our audio engineer Neil and and executive producer the Overlord. Yeah, our yes. Overlord Neil. Um, he just doesn't have a voice today. So uh, literally yeah. and figuratively. Yeah, <laughs> we have stolen his voice. <laughs> Hello, Internet! Yeah, no. And for the record, what is he drinking? Cough syrup. Oh, yes. Robitussin, et cetera. Yeah, uh, or a throat coat or what have you. Uh, herbal tea! But but also, I think that leads us into Mike. Yes, spoiler of the week. What is the spoiler of the week? And the spoiler of the week is Soylent Green is People. Oh my god, I didn't know that. I've been oh, eating Soylent oh. Green all There is actually a product called Soylent Green. And going green now has a whole other connotation. Yes, or I suppose it always did. Always did. Right? That was that was a thing before the Bef- phrase was a thing. Right before going green was a yes. thing. Right. That's so OG going green. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's a good transition there into uh, into classic sci-fi, which is our, our topic this week. So um, looking at the uh, the TV end of that first, um, already kind of mentioned a few of them there with uh, with Star yeah. Trek. Um, Ben, you're the resident old guy. Why don't you kick us off with some <laughs> thoughts here on well, that? Fortunately, I, I, I have backup today because Greg's just about my age. You're a couple <laughs> years younger than I am, aren't you? Uh, I'm for, am I 49 now? 48 or 49? Rumor's first thing to go. You didn't, you didn't sign anything that says you have to admit to old you. Know, so <laughs> for the record, you're good. But, yeah. Um, no, yeah, trust me, in my case, my memory is the latest thing to go. <laughs> the latest thing to go. So, um, so yeah, man, oh, there's an old guy. Uh, back in my day, uh, <laughs> let me break out the resident old guy catchphrase. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we go all, I kind of consider classic sci-fi. Um, anything from the introduction of Doctor Who in, in uh, is it 62, I think? Uh, I thought Doctor Who actually went back into the 50s. No, Doctor Who started in the 60s. It actually premiered the day after Kennedy was shot. Okay, that'd be 63 then. 63. So, yeah, because Doctor Who's been around for 55 years, so yeah, that'd be 63. Um, Yeah, 55 years on a single franchise. Um, So we start with Doctor Who, uh, we have Star Trek, we have Lost in Space, which kind of came out of Star Trek... Uh, and then there were a lot of other little ones like Blake 7 which I don't have a lot of uh, experience with no. uh, UFO which I've seen a few episodes of uh, Space 1999 oh my god Space 1999 was like the prisoner in, of sci-fi it was very high concept 
uh, by comparison to a lot of things that came By the way, out. just as an aside, it's fun as we go through this, whenever they reference a uh, particular year, and it's like, we're 2018 now, and yeah, we, space we, we would, was the sci-fi would have us believe we'd be in flying cars, and we'd be interacting with aliens. We'd have a base on the moon. Where the, where the, where the hell is my rocket belt? Yeah. Well, actually, they're coming out with those. They're coming out with flying cars now. Well, that is one of the that's one of the closest things to that is that there have been some actual you know rocket belt jetpacky type stuff. Or now, <laughs> now we have self driving cars, so there's that. Yeah, and they're making drone view or uh, basically quad you know quadcopter uh, vehicles that you can actually fly about twenty feet over the ground in. Huh. Yeah, and now that and now that we are we're on the verge of actually having them, an increasing number of people are going. Oh, we're not so sure that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, like many sci-fi ideas, where's my freaking laser beam? Yeah, well, I mean, that's one of the big things about uh, sci-fi, and uh, of course, the, to paraphrase the Jurassic Park line, just because you could doesn't mean you should, <laughs> right? Should you do it? Yeah. So yeah, this is gonna we're gonna get to a fallout. Uh, we're gonna get to a fallout level of uh, alcohol. Uh, what is it? Uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Lasers. <laughs> Technically, they have explosives in that umbrella as well. Explosives, yeah. Explosives. Um, not explosives. Explosives. Kabooms. Kabooms. Um, yeah, you do a better. You do a better, Marvin, than I do. <laughs> uh, I do a lot of impressions, just not well. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, we go back to uh, starting with, like, Doctor Who, which actually started off with long-form episodic nature, you know, long-form episodes, uh, way before we get that start in Babylon 5. And uh, for for regular listeners, they'll know I have not seen a single episode of Doctor Who, and I will just kind of nod my head and go, "Mm mm-hmm, a lot. So, yeah, the original Doctor Who, I mean, Doctor Who... (laughs) Old or new. Yeah, Doctor Who created a lot of things. You know, the uh, Doctor Who did the uh, was uh, um, borrowed a lot of stuff from and did it well because you have the magic stick, uh, the sonic screwdriver. Uh, right. You had the you know you had time travel and and a lot of scientific stuff, and it was one of the first to start dealing with you know. Uh, on TV, the ethics of time travel. Uh, and, of course, they introduced the concept of regeneration when the original Doctor became too ill to continue with the series, and they introduced the second Doctor. Yeah, and that's interesting, too, is a lot of the stuff, uh, I mean, not just sci-fi, but any kind of you know entertainment, media entertainment, television movies, um, a lot of the things that happen with like where a story goes or how something is produced or whatever is out of necessity because of something that happens with an actor or some kind of, you know, some sort of mechanical process like when somebody gets pregnant on a tv show and they have to write that in or whatever right but what they did different differently or i should say what they did that other that now people are doing entirely differently was Mm -hmm. introducing the concept of regeneration allowed them to recap to recast and continue but not reboot Right. Everything today is rebooting. That's rebooting, a good point. reimagining. Yeah. Right. You can have and consistency over a long period of time by having a concept like that baked in. Yeah. yeah. And whereas this is more inheriting or something right. like that. You know, and now we're on the thirteenth doctor. <coughs> right. And Whitaker. And I'm I'm yeah. loving that whole thing. Uh, but as the doctor evolves, so does the Sonic Screwdriver. Uh, and and the TARDIS, they kind of uh, they kind of go with that. It's a package deal. Yeah, and, and Doctor Who was originally <coughs> supposed to be an educational program. 
but when they introduced the Daleks and kind of threw, threw a little bit of horror and scary into it, their ratings went through the roof. They're going, oh, well, you <laughs> know where we're going. Um, you know, so they, they went more hard sci-fi. Huh. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they were originally supposed to originally, let's make it kind of educational because they wanted it to be educational. Then suddenly they're popular, and then they throw in a horror episode, and that makes them even more popular. They're going, okay, chuck the educational part out the window. Yeah. And uh, Not so- to return until the 1970s with all the parents' groups. Right. Thank you, thank you, conservative parent groups, or actually, way conservative parent groups, because yeah, there's a difference. But, um, but then uh, Star Trek comes along, and Roddenberry's version of Star Trek was very much like, and this is something Greg and I discussed on the way over, very much, uh, very similar to episodic TV of the day, which is Dilemma of the Week. Right, right. Monster of the week is just a just a you know is just a yeah. dilemma of the week. Um, so everything had to be solved within a one hour time frame, um, and they you know so everything. But it was still Roddenberry's Star Trek tackled so many things that were uh, you know that were. I mean, they had an integrated crew. Right. Chekhov was you know Chekhov then. Uh, was the example of, you know, this is our enemies are now our friends. And that's an interesting point because a lot of people forget that part of it. A lot of people just focus on like, oh, like James, uh, James Tiberius Kirk kissing, uh, was it Uhura? Yeah. Yeah, because it was like, oh, interracial kiss in prime time when there's a lot of racial strife going on and stuff. Yeah. People forget, hey, wait a minute. There's the, the little thing called the Cold War, and they had Chekhov on the crew, and yeah. they're envisioning a future where we get past this, and we're not Although blowing they, each other Although they up. kind of actually backed into that backwards. They weren't actually trying to make a Cold War statement. They were, was, they were they were angling for the youth market. Right. Well, the thing is, is that in, in the end... That's why Chekhov had, had that really stupid uh, oh, yeah. monkey's haircut. Yeah. Well, sometimes, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because there, there's the original intent, and then there's the end result, right? Right. And sometimes that, that intent kind of shifts as it's, they see what happens. Like, yeah. as you mentioned with Doctor Who, it's like, originally, it's like, yeah, let's make this a little more educated. And then they're like, oh, wait a minute. This is selling like gangbusters. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's veer into entertainment, and then we can use some of this extra money to do something else educational. Right? Well, see, and Chekhov, <laughs> yeah, see, Chekhov, by, by comparison, would be like uh, having a, having a, a Muslim... Uh, a Muslim, a female Muslim in a hijab on the on the British crew of the Enterprise now. Yeah, I mean it would be that far, or you know, or a Sikh, you know, with with their turban, uh, you know, and the knife, <laughs> you know, on the bridge. That would be as as radical a change for most Americans, um, because you know because of the, of the of the politics of the day. But also they had an Asian on the bridge crew. He was a lieutenant. Something you didn't see in the '60s. Right. They had an alien on the bridge crew as the second in command. Another thing, aliens at the time were freaking comic relief, or you know, invaders uh, that kill everything. Invaders that kill everything, or the the leads, uh, you know, uh, romantic conquest. You're right. (laughs) You know, Um, so you know, I mean, and the original pilot number one was a female. Uh, and I think it was Majel Barrett, right? Yep. Yeah, Majel Barrett uh, 
you know, played, uh, you know, played number one in the original pilot, which they said, no, we can't do this. Let's take that alien guy and make him, yeah. uh, you know, the, the first off. And they wanted to get rid of him, too. Yeah, they, they wanted to get him, and he turned out to be the most popular one ever. Yeah, Gene, uh, Gene Roddenberry said, well, I could, I had this dilemma. I could save one of them. So I kept Mr. Spock and I married the girl. <laughs> so in a way, he saved both of them because later on, Majel Barrett became a major, uh, you know, major icon in Star Trek. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things of it, it broke so much ground, uh, you know, in in sci-fi yeah. because it did things that were frankly supposed to be taboo. Um, and then we get uh, it did it. It did it. What what what? And I, I don't want I don't want to go too far into you know what might be considered argument argument territory, but unlike a lot of modern uh, the modern shows that claim to be doing the same thing, it did it with a uh, with a degree of subtlety. It didn't it yeah. didn't beat you over the head. Yeah, to be fair, I have not I have I haven't seen much of the like uh, the TV series and especially not the original run, especially not the original Star Trek. Right. But I have seen enough and seen it referenced enough that I know what you mean and I agree with you. And that is an interesting thing because like I, I agree with what you've been saying, Ben, about how you know it broke all this new ground and, and all this stuff is worth acknowledging. And there's some positive things that came with that because then it kind of gave people permission mm-hmm. to be like, oh, okay, so we can do this, and we're not going to get you know put in the stocks for doing something we're not right. supposed to be doing with casting or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And uh, but it's like now we're in a space where it's like a lot of people kind of uh, act like they're breaking some big ground and pat themselves on the back and virtue signal and it's like yeah no like that happened a long time ago kind of like when Black Panther came out and it was like oh finally a black and it's like and then you see people like showing all these like blade and all these like and it's like no it's been done many times don't pat yourself on the back too hard guys right it's just one that's now starting to get the recognition of you know equal recognition but I think I think Greg you're right Roddenberry did a lot of his stuff with a much more subtle pen Right. Uh, the only person I've seen modern that does something anywhere near that subtle is Joss Whedon. JMS. Straczynski. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. You, you, we, we are. Uh, we're, we're different degrees of geek. Yeah, uh, Babylon Five was Joss Whedon before Joss Whedon was Joss Whedon in that respect. Um, Babylon Five. Yeah, but see, Babylon Five broke ground for me in different ways. Um, and it was it was subtle in its way but it was and it were uh, it was subtle until it decided it was going to drop the anvil on you yeah and then when it dropped the anvil it really dropped the freaking anvil and and we'll have to get into uh, we'll have to get into some some of that but uh, Babylon 5 was 90s wasn't it yeah okay that's kind of outside the, era, or, the uh, edge or late 90s early 2000s yeah so that's kind of yeah. at the edge of what we're looking at um but yeah, he, you're right. Roddenberry was sucked because he had to be. Well, and that's uh, that's again yeah, and standards that's, and practices. <laughs> well, that goes back into the whole like necessity and yeah. tent and end result. And I say, in, in the end, that and a lack of understanding of demographics is what ultimately killed the original series. Well, uh, what what sometimes is uh, most interesting is when like um, when these things, these constraints with like uh, budgets and standards and practices and whatever else. Uh, sometimes that's when you get your best creative work. Like the first Deadpool movie, 
didn't have like on a on a big scale it had a relatively small budget and so they kind of had to work around that and they they I think that actually improved the movie as opposed right. to what it could be. Right. I don't want to get too off in the bushes here, but that that's just a quick example that comes to mind. Yeah. And I think that's kind of interesting, too, is seeing all this stuff. Like, I mean, obviously, when you get into Alien, there's the whole, hey, it's just a guy in a suit, but holy shit, what an amazing guy and what an amazing it's suit. suit. Yeah, and what an amazing <laughs> well, it's yeah. Bad, well, I mean, without, dives, without yeah, diving cases. too deep into it, and this is something else that Ben and I talked about. This. Exactly. <laughs> this is something else that... Um, Ben and I kind of touched on on the way over here was the idea that and now I'm now that I brought it up I'm trying to figure out how to say it succinctly enough. Is it the time constraint issue? Uh, no, okay. uh, it's the it's, so the it's the idea of of it being a product of its era. Okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and a lot of media of the of the day. This is yeah, <clears throat> Greg and I were discussing this. A lot of the media of the day was very much a product of well, especially era. sci-fi because I mean yeah. just just the technology alone. I mean, there's the whole memes going around the social media about all the things that Star Trek accurately predicted, like iPads, for example. Right. You know. Yeah, but it's it's more it's it's a, it, there's a yeah. there's a deeper layer than that. It's the yeah. idea. Um, the '60s were fundamentally an optimistic period, despite the problem, all the problems that we were having in society. For many people, yes. For many people, the '60s were still there was a spirit of optimism, and Star Trek was able to to, to tap into that. Yeah. Whereas Doctor Who, not so much an optimistic show. It mm. was kind of dark, uh, but yeah, in, in that era. But you also have then you have Space 1999. Uh, high concept, but still based on the idea of in the future we'll have bases on the moon, mm-hmm. uh, UFO, uh, which was also yeah UFO fit with a lot of the whole dark invasion thing going going yeah. on because there were a lot of them out there where it's oh the aliens aren't going to show up and, and blast us with ray guns they're going to come up and replace us and right yeah. and insidious move. well and that's again when you talk about a product of its time when you have the Cold War yeah. and you have uh, I mean there's there's a lot of layers right because. There, there, and now that a lot of stuff has been declassified and archived, there are a lot of things where you can actually be like, oh yeah, they were actually communists in the State Department. So like, yes, there were spies in the government stuff. Now, and then there's another layer of just uh, hysteria with it too, the Red Scare and stuff. Right. Well, yeah, but it's, it's like, now that you've had enough time and distance, it's interesting looking back on that. But anyway, the point is, because of what's going on, again, writing, writing uh, yeah. uh, trends and societal stuff, you have, okay, of course, with the Cold War going on and, you know, the specter of communism, you have all these, like, uh, invading aliens and, like, mm-hmm. uh, existential threats and people snatching bodies and corrupting minds and stuff. So you're going right. to get a lot of that in that period, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, is but the, 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 always the, the, um, the vision of the future was very positive. Um, we start to see that change in the late 70s. I think in in, in shows, uh, and and we'll get into movies because Alien. Well, yeah, Alien's kind of falls. It is hard there. to kind of divorce them entirely. Yeah, I, I don't think over. it changed so much as basically it forked. It yeah. broke off into two branches because on the one hand, you still had a certain level of optimism, or if not optimism, then just. Escapism, and I, I that's a, a, yeah. it's kind of where Star Trek and Star Wars kind of went off yeah. in that direction. Then, on the other hand, you had Soylent Green, 
Um, yeah, well, well so yeah, that's from the darker episode of the Twilight Zone, right? Yeah, you, you, well, that was all, that goes all the way back to the fifties, though. Yeah, right. yeah, the Twilight but Zone. But had a pretty long run, didn't it? Oh yeah, and there's still Twilight Zones being produced today. Uh, the Twilight Zone was always it, Twilight Zone was kind of where sci-fi found its found its uh, its Bride of Frankenstein with horror. Yeah, uh, <laughs> because Twilight, of course, sci-fi has always had has always had a certain oh. element of of cautionary, uh, of cautionary, uh, you know, vision right. well, to it since as we, well. Since we did bring up Twilight Zone, talk about a show that wasn't afraid to drop anvils on the viewers. Twilight Zone. The, the thing is, is the Twilight Zone would lead you to this big X and make you happy to be there before they dropped the anvil yeah, on yeah. you. Uh, Twilight Zone would lead you to, oh, this is going to be the what? <laughs> you know, the one with the woman who was, you know, who was, uh, oh, horribly disfigured, horribly disfigured, and they, they show her face, and, you know, because you never see anything. She was beautiful, and everybody else, else was, was hideously ugly because <laughs> yeah. they, by our, by our, you know, um, standards. By our standards, yeah. yeah. Um, but then, you know, we also, but yeah, we had the, we still, like, Battlestar Galactica, which was late 70s. Uh-huh. Buck Rogers, which was late 70s. Um, had this, you know, Buck Rogers, even though it had this sort of, you know, post-apocalyptic feel to it, still had this, we're running around in skin-tight spandex. And, right. You know, well, you know, you know, again, product of its time, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Major Wilma Deering. <laughs> yeah. what, what, what's, well, I think that's that... Well, fantasy starting on that one. <laughs> well, I think the, the what's changed, though, and I think that... Uh, that's why you, you, you saw a lot of shows, like, for example, why Star Trek has not done as well as it once did. Um, At least on TV. Movies is doing just fine. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, no, movies is doing even worse. That's why we haven't had one since uh, since uh, Beyond. Oh, well, I, to be fair, I didn't get around to seeing Beyond, so I guess I'm a little behind the times um, on that. But I, it's that... Society... Well, you know, I, something else I said in the carnival way over here is that collectively as a group, it just seems like instead of trying to look to a better future or look to something with optimism and hope that we as a society just kind of seem to want to jump down into the mud and wallow around in it and really experience just how awful things are. Yeah, I think it's a little from column A and a little from column B. Uh, I mean, now that you have the internet and everything I, I feel like there's a lot more um, there's a lot more options and there's a lot more output for those various things it, you have to remember uh, I mean back in the day we're talking about like three basic three television channels and like the in in the in like the major movie releases which yeah. by the way uh, a lot less movie theaters back then too yeah. it's easy to forget that there's and a lot less screens yeah. yeah yeah well screens really right because yeah. that's the thing is that the movie business as far as like the actual buy a ticket go see a movie in a theater movie business yeah has changed a lot over the years and although the, there aren't as many like players you have a few big companies for the most part and stuff there's so many more screens um <coughs> that all show the same thing well no, that's things not you have more variety. look at Alamo Drafthouse for example there, there's a lot of variety in that 
But right. I don't want to get too off into that topic. But point yeah. is, is that back then, and like when I say back then, like 60s, 70s, yeah. um, there there wasn't this uh, diffusion of options and self-produced content and stuff. So yeah. I, I would say that it's easy to look at a few things back then, a few big shows, movies, and then extrapolate, okay, well, this is how everyone was like viewing and experiencing things. And now it's all like depressing and stuff and wallowing in the mud. It's like, well, yeah. I, I disagree with that analysis because I, I think that a lot of these things are represented just in different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think we, do, we still have, I think we have a more diverse sci-fi. Because, uh, okay, so we, we go with, you know, going with TV shows, we have Battlestar Galactica, the original Battlestar Galactica, the one I like. Um, and, you know, I never you know, saw the original, yeah, for the record, I love For the people one. listening, my hand is up in the air here. Yeah, Battlestar I love the new Galactica. show. I never the, saw the original, but... The original Battlestar Galactica for its day was cheesy. In, by comparison to today. Back then, though, given the time, it was the hottest thing going. I wanted to be Starbuck. Um, you know, because he was cool, he was dashing, you know. Uh, you know he, he was also left-handed, as I recall. It was either him or Apollo was, it was left-handed. Oh. I think it was Apollo. It was Apollo was left-handed, yeah. Uh, which I almost never saw. Everybody was right Right, yeah. I'm left-handed. I'm a lefty as well. Um, and, and, you know... Uh, that is just so freaking weird, because there's three left-handed guys sitting around... Oh, really? You're, I didn't realize yeah. you were left-handed. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Exclusive uh, uh, left-handed yeah, episode today. Right. Is Neil lefty? Uh, not that I know of. Huh. Um, uh, so, we'll, we'll not go into that into politics on that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, you know, I would, but it was cheesy as fuck. For the record, I'm left-handed. Yeah. Left-handed. <laughs> That's all. Um, but, it, you know, the original was cheesy AF, man. I mean, <laughs> it was, by comparison today, all matter. But that was that was the 80s. It, man, could, was the be, it, could, it could be, but then it could pop off with some really, really somber it could, it, well, Okay, it, it could pop off with some really, but it still presented it in a cheesy AF, you know, CAF yeah. uh, format. You know, it was it was kind of broad. Your good guys were really good guys. Your bad guys, you know. Now there was uh, there were a couple, uh, you know, in there. The one with the convicts when they were having to climb the mountain to get in. That one was darker. Uh, Gun on Ice Planet Zero. Yeah, Gun on Ice Planet Zero. One of my favorite episodes, by the way, because uh, it had this really strong redemption arc. But I mean, yeah, it 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 had some darker aspects to it. Uh, this I think it was the second episode with the gambling uh, the gambling planet or the pleasure planet. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no, that was that was it. That was in the pilot. Was that in the pilot? That's right. They put they brought Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that, that was in that was in the, that was in the pilot. Yeah. Uh, you know, where you know they're betrayed by you know by this smiling face. You know, smiling face. You know, outstretched hand, dagger behind the back. But uh, then then they could get. Um, <laughs> And I, I can't remember the episode name. You know, turn in your Battlestar Galactica fan card. Um, <laughs> it was part. when they first met the, the colonists from Terra. Oh yeah. The ones that were on the life su- uh, uh, that were that were um, in life support, and the Quorum of the Twelve was being its usual mm-hmm. band of douchebags selves, and they're like, let's pull them out. Let's pull them out of there, interrogate them, and get the coordinates to, to Earth because they thought they could give them the coordinates to Earth. Right. And um, the, do- the, do- the chief medical officer of the Galactica basically looked at him and said, so you expect me to solve your problem for you by violating every canon of medical ethics. Well, you have an entirely different problem. You have the problem of finding another doctor. And he walked out. 
Yeah. And they were like, what the heck just happened here? And Lauren Green, who, uh, my God, that man could de- could deliver, you know, you could say this is so cheesy, but he delivered it with such integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, no, what you, he, what he said, no, you just witnessed a genuine miracle. You just proved, you just watched a man prove that there are reasons why the human race is worth saving. Yeah, and Lauren Green could deliver those lines, you know, because the caliber of actor he was. Um, and that's the thing about Battlestar Galactic. It was not subtle in some of its, in some of its deliveries. Uh, and that's why it had that cheesy, you know, that yeah. cheesy as <laughs> fuck. Um, but we get a lot of things from those that carried over. Uh, of course, some of them were not so great. Uh, Star Trek fandom is what delivered us the concept of the Mary Sue. Mm. Uh, the the because in fandom, Star Trek fandom was also what gave us first fan fiction, and it was in fan fiction that we get the Mary Sue, the concept of the character that's too perfect. But well, to be, to be <coughs> fair, um, I would I would say I would make the distinction that it was merely the delivery vehicle, right? It happened to be the thing. It's not so much like it's correlation, not causation, right? Well, no, it's, if it wasn't uh, that, it would have been some other thing that these well, yeah, you know, no, it actually you know, crappy fan fiction, etc., glommed onto. Right. No, it's not so much that. Uh, I mean, fan, fan fiction really found its found its feet in Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, and it found an audience in Star Trek. Uh, the it was in Star Trek. It was in a Star Trek fanzine that one of the editors actually wrote. A fan, fic- a fan fiction that was a parody of all of the submissions that she got <laughs> oh, nice. about Ensign Mary Sue Parkins or something like that, the youngest ensign in Starfleet. Oh, okay, so that that has its basis in satire. Yes, and that's interesting. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah, do 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 a do a research on on the Mary Sue. Okay. okay. Uh, Sometimes it's 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 hilarious how she came up. But anyways, yeah, it was the whole idea. Uh, but again. Star Trek fandom and Doctor Who fandom is where we started to get conventions as we know them, sci-fi conventions. Uh, Star Trek also predicted a lot of things. The communicator, our cell phones. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, the early cell phone flip top. The whole, (laughs) like, you know, Skype, whatever, slash Google Hangout, slash whatever you want to call it, the whole video communique. Then then they took, then they kind of took that full circle um, because in um, Star Trek Into Darkness, it was revealed that communicators had a texting function. Huh. <laughs> that's weird. The scene with Pike and Kirk at the bar. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they have the texting function. Yeah, and we, we kind of got to that. Speaking um, of project of its time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, hey, guys, it's 2009. We, we better yeah. have these guys texting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, that actually, that um, bringing up Battlestar Galactica just a minute ago, actually, I think, reinforces my thesis about how Science fiction has changed because society has changed, and it's the difference between the 79 Battlestar Galactica and the Edward James Almost Battlestar Galactica, which was an almost complete, in some ways, inversion of the concept. Yeah, it completely, it completely turned it around. Where, where once, uh, you know, Adama was this honorable, you know, honorable, <coughs> um, moralistic Zeus figure. Well, to be fair, Zeus wasn't terribly moral. 
No, but he was he was <laughs> godlike. He was pa- he was paragonic. Yeah, he was a paragon. Okay. That's a good. One. good. I just well, have to take, use the, the example of Zeus because Zeus is yeah. you know, always like screwing anything that walks and being a dick. Yeah, but but he, he was, turned him into a burn. De- but the um, where yeah he was he was a paragon. He was a virtuous paragon. And they turned him into a bitter, burned out, lying, basically washed up. Manipulative. Yeah, manipulative. I mean, you know, uh, by comparison. Uh, you know, it just yeah, it kind of it kind of changed. That's why I don't particularly, I'm not particularly fond of the uh, of the uh, art, uh, the more uh, Battlestar Galactica. It would be interesting to, you know, because obviously it, you can't, you know, it's a thing that happened. You can't change it now, but how your reaction would have been if it had not been labeled Battlestar Galactica? I still wouldn't have liked it. Yeah, uh, have that attachment. No, I still wouldn't have liked it. That's why I didn't like the the, the most recent uh, Stargate series. Mm. Because what it does is it turns it in into Stargate a, Universe. Yeah, Stargate Universe. Because it turns it into this little microcosm in space. You know, because what was all what was it all about? What was going on inside the little group? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, oh, Cylons among us. Not we're fighting the Cylons as this existential threat, but we are the Cylons. Uh, you know, and and it just Baltar was not a villain. Baltar was a, uh, you know, Baltar was this. Uh, their Baltar was like the Doom in the most recent Fantastic Four. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those things. Um, or, um, or the. Uh, he was um, a chump. Or the uh, the BVS version of Lex Luthor. Nah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I but, would make uh, that comparison because I actually enjoyed uh, Baltar. I mean, I love to hate him, etc. Yeah, or, or, um, that was one Lex Luthor, the, the Lex Luthor in BVS is just painful. Or exactly. ha- or By Hammer in, in Iron Man Two. Well, for the record, I I loved the the new Battlestar Galactica, and I loved Stargate Universe as well. Now I don't have much of a thing to compare it to. I did see some like SG One and stuff, but right. um, I didn't. Uh, I never saw the original show. Now. I might like that too for different reasons. It'll be interesting yeah. to see how that kind of it was compares. Just, yeah, it was, it's the focus of of. And I, I do understand, although on those particular shows, mm-hmm. I I have the exact opposite opinion. I do understand what you're saying about the whole. Hey, instead of having a broad-reaching science fiction thing, it's just this group of people, and it's kind of this. It becomes right. a self-contained thing where it's just like it. It's, it's, it, it may it might as well just be a, a drama that is in space. Exactly. As opposed to sci-fi. Exactly. Now, I loved it for what it is, and I love that it was character-driven and everything, but I wasn't going into a mind, uh, mindset of, okay, I really want to watch this sci-fi show. I was just, right. hey, here's a show that's hot right now, and my friend said, this is an amazing show, you got to check it out, and I agreed. Right. So I get that. If you're looking for sci-fi, that, that might not be your bag, per se. Exactly. exactly. I, kind of follow, uh, I kind of follow in the middle. I am very much an original Galactica fan, yeah. uh, an OG, you might say. Yeah, OG BSG. OG WTF BBQ. Once I accepted <laughs> the idea that this was a different, that this was a different and its own thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I was able to appreciate the new one for what it was. Right. Right. And see, and that's the thing is, is I, I that's even the, even those things I didn't like. Yeah. And see, the reason I did not like it was because of what it was. Right. And that's fair because I mean, I you know, I would get I would be a bit annoyed if someone was just like, oh, well, it wasn't this other thing. Yeah. But if you're like, okay, I see what they're doing there, and I'm not really a big fan, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So not you all know, things are for all people. And, yeah. and then, 
this actually kind of ties into Star Trek as well. If they had just been honest with the J.J. Abrams material and just said, we're, re- we're, re- we're rebooting, we're reimagining. Yeah. If they had just did that, fans would have grumbled like, well, we really wanted more right. prime timeline. But, okay, and they would have said, well, we can kind of, now that we know that it is its own thing. They kind of accept that, yeah. We can. Yeah. But well, we'll they get, kept trying to say it's. It, I, no, I, it I agree with you what you're saying there, but I understand, like, from a business, business perspective, they're trying to, like, please everyone at the same well, time. Were, I think they were kind of trying to use that as a passing of the torch, that, that gimmick. Uh, but, yeah, I guess there's probably some of that, too. Um, but my, you know, the other thing, getting back to classic sci fi. Um, Okay, so we had Space 1999, which was very eclectic, very much Dilemma of the Week. Um, it was very high concept by comparison. But from that, we it, it was also a part of its time because it had the stand-up, you know, uh, almost never can do wrong, although he, he did have some flaws, uh, you know, uh, fear, fearless leader, you know, and... and uh, his staunch, you know, staunch, uh, you know, first and uh, second in command, and then you know you had the female scientist, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and uh, a lot lost, of tropes. Yeah, a lot of tropes. Lost in space, you could have moved those people around, just have a different, you know. Yeah. And it was it was the same thing. It wasn't lost in space. Lost its way, I think, after its first season. Uh, uh, having recently rewatched the first season. It started losing its way after about five or six episodes as soon as Jonathan Harris realized he was he was the, effectively the star of the show mm-hmm. and when all the when all the the fan mail started coming in saying oh they how much they loved dr. Smith yeah. because they originally and this this is something I found out from doing some research on a couple of uh, fan boards was that he was originally scheduled to be killed off hmm. because the Dr. Smith in the first few episodes was a flat-out freaking bad guy. Yeah, and it wasn't until... He was plotting to kill everybody else in the expedition, steal a ship, and go home. Yeah, and, and he was, you know, and that's something that when they turned it, when they turned it into a comedy, into the Dr. Smith and Will, and Will Robinson... Uh, show, you know. And that was already well underway before the first season even ended. Yeah, but I mean, they really, truly, when they changed that format, you know, that's where they kind of lost their way. By the way, we got about three minutes for the focus on uh, TV, where okay. he shifted to movie. Right. So, I mean, when we look at TV shows, I mean, they were a product of a very much more uh, optimistic era. They did still buy into a lot of tropes. Even, even you know, Doctor Who, always a guy. Captain Kirk, you know, dashing leading man, anything in a skirt, you know, anything, anything with, uh, you know, with a hole. Uh. Well, the funny and the funny thing about that is, very human centric. Yeah, it's not necessarily, in my opinion, bad per se that they did. Those, well, they because those tro- those tropes were are, are those tropes are, are as some people like to think of tropes as being something that's artificially imposed and fake, but tropes actually they grow out of something right. that uh, it's like the old saying that stereotypes are based on truth. 
Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. A lot of it is actually just you know. Well, yeah. It's <coughs> because reflecting at the society. time, you know, at the time, yeah, every, any person that you saw in charge was going to be, you know, was going to at least present like that, you know, dashing white guy. Uh, you know, male. Well, a lot of it too is just like you know personality mm -hmm. uh, stuff and like leadership qualities. Not yeah. necessarily all this like you know uh, demographic type discussion with like yeah. you know, men versus women and race and all this other stuff. It's right. like it's just it's just that you now know, how it works. Yeah, you know? now we do see hey, women can lead too. Uh, I shared a thing today. Uh, a uh, a nurse from Australia went uh, and did something that only seventy five other people have done. In the world, and that's picked up the Denny Stone. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, which I use like a 750 pound stone. You know, I was just like, yeah, okay. Now we're realizing, hey, you know, there there don't, don't always have to be all those differences if you want to do something. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was very much a part of this time. That was what we associated leadership with, was that kind of guy. Um, but more importantly, I think, like I said, it was very much more subtle in a lot of its. Well. It's a matter of it's a matter of sci-fi sci-fi in particular. Mm -hmm. Although writing and, and drama in general, you've got three components. You've got story, mm -hmm. you've got characters, and you've got a message. Mm -hmm. Good writing in general is story, then characters then message or if it's a character piece characters and story then message yeah. message is always the least element actually and no, message is always important but it's the least evident well yeah uh, uh, well again this all depends what on what I'm saying is in terms of actually <coughs> when you're writing and structuring the the message is the last thing to consider because your story has to be strong your characters have to be interesting or your message is and, and okay, as a writer, not going to be rece received a, well. As a writer, you have your story and your characters. Your message is an influence, but it is not. You know, if you want to, in my opinion, if you want to tell a good story, you don't tell it specifically with you know. Uh, this is going to be the messages. This is going to be. This is going to permeate it all the way through. And I think that's what yeah, that's early sci-fi did. Right. Uh, it permeated the message was there, but it wasn't always in your face. And by the way, I don't. Uh, <clears throat> although I generally agree with that breakdown, I don't think there has to be a capital M message at all necessarily. Now, in sci-fi is more prominent because sci-fi asks the question: Where are what we if? going as a society? What well, if? So, yeah. Etc. Sci-fi is inherently a uh, to a, to a very strong degree. By its very construction and nature as a genre, it is message. It, it lends itself to message. It's a, me it's a message delivery system. It, it can be. It, well, the messages, you know, but the messages often. What is you know? What where are we going? It's when you start to look at it through a, a lens of of judgment that yeah we start to see heavier messages in it well and a lot of people you know you, you look at the same movie or read the same book and then you come up with different takes on it and, and a lot of it is people's interpretation of a message that may or may not exist to different right. degrees and uh, just a quick um, this isn't classic sci-fi but um, in two, 2000 Pitch Black that movie that didn't really have a message per se I don't think 
it was just it was more or less a it was like a horror suspense type movie that was happened to be sci-fi mm-hmm. I don't think there's a big moral message in that movie necessarily just an interesting movie yeah it was entertaining if anything anyone could be a hero um, yeah and again one could take that and run with it and be like see this was the message all along it's like well maybe maybe not mm-hmm. who knows right but the point the point I, the sometimes, point I'm making yeah but sometimes the curtains are just fucking blue right, <laughs> right. but the point I'm making is because the story was good and the characters were good and interesting, yeah, it didn't really need it didn't really need a message. Yeah, it didn't need a well, yeah, or it didn't at least at the very least. Let's assume let's assume for example in Pitch Black that that was the message. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't beat you over the head with it and because it had an interesting story and compelling characters. Then people can absorb that either consciously or subconsciously if they intended to make that message. Right, and it, it could be it could still be entertaining even if the message was not received or if it was received by an audience that already knew it. Right, and that's a good uh, transition to the movie side because now we're using a concrete yeah. example of a sci-fi movie, admittedly not 60s, 70s era, but... Right, right. You know, so, 18 years ago, so I think, you yeah. know, it's, it's at least worth mentioning. Yeah, I think it's kind of at the edge of what we what we would now call classic sci-fi. I generally, when it, and just forget about sci-fi for a moment, when I think of classic, like, things, media, like, you know, whether it be music, movies, video games, books, whatever, if it's something is roughly 20 years or older eh yeah. it's a generational thing I'll consider a classic I mean, yeah 30 years is, an, is antique for cars so um, and again yeah. sometimes the quality Twisted radio- Sisters now aired on oldies radio <laughs> well the quali- quality and uh, influence of something um, is going to beget what when people consider a classic thing right true like look at Jaws like that became classic a lot faster than other movies which yeah. is funny because you know Jaws. Yeah, Neil Jaws became the saying that he hates shark movies, but yeah, Jaws, <laughs> Jaws became the benchmark, and I think that's the thing is some things become a benchmark. Or to, uh, to have a sci-fi example, Star Wars. The original Star Wars came benchmark. out in '77. Uh, I mean, when I was growing up, it was already considered a classic movie, and I was into it in the early '90s. Yeah. So it's like there you go. Yeah, and it, it became it became a cultural. I mean, it is our it is our mythos <coughs> now. Um, well, he was some kind of Jedi. Uh, anyways, um, you know, Jedi mind trick. You know, I mean, you could throw things out there, and you yeah, know. I mean, the pop culture references alone are so ubiquitous. It's crazy. Oh yeah, I mean, when I was in the '90s, I was on a, on a bus on the uh, um, uh, one of the uh, bus <coughs> at MSU campus back when it was SMSU back in my day, um, and some guy was you know the, the the guy was weaving through traffic. And there was it was a crowded bus, people getting jostled around, and everything. Yeah. And I hear behind me this frat guy wearing Greek letters all over the place. I could swear he had probably never ever seen a Star Wars movie that he would admit to. Yeah. And he's like. Dude, is this guy is this guy driving with his eyes open or is he just using the force? Right. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what the fuck? You're appropriating my you're appropriating my kingdom, man. <laughs> but if you want to do a deeper cut in that situation, be like, she'll hold together. Hear me, baby. Hold together, <laughs> hold together right? <laughs> Let go. And no, my response was, trust your feelings. <laughs> um, and people will get that, even th- that probably might not have even seen the film. Luke, I yeah. am your father. Permeates well, society. A great, a great example is uh, my wife. She hadn't really seen, she'd never actually seen Star Wars from start to finish her entire life, basically. Just a few years ago, I had her watch the movies uh, in machete order, by the way. Google it if you're not familiar with that. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, she she was, you know, obviously she knew all Somebody the big me, stuff, all the up. quotes and references mm-hmm. and all that. 
Um, so, you know, it's like it just goes to show she never actually seen a Star Wars movie start to finish, but all the typical stuff about using the Force and Obi-Wan and Darth being Luke's yeah. father, like, it's, it's crazy. So much stuff, in, in especially with Star Wars, because when you really think about it, that was three movies. Yeah. It wasn't just one movie, three movies, mm-hmm. because people were referencing Yoda and all this stuff, and you think about it, it's like, wait a minute, all the mainstream references, that's across three friggin' movies. Yeah. So that just shows you how, what, what a pop culture juggernaut that really was, because right. it wasn't just one thing, it was a, it was three movies over several years. You know? Right. Well, see, and, and to me, classic, to me, classic um, sci-fi <coughs> movies that become iconic start with 2001 Space Odyssey. Also, yeah. Sprock Zarathustra. Uh, I didn't say what you did. Greg's over here shaking his head. No, no, no. I was disagreeing with you. With uh, I think the first iconic uh, classic sci-fi film was Forbidden Planet. No, uh, and, and uh, the reason I, the reason I go with that is I can't play the Forbidden Planet uh, any music from the Forbidden Planet and have people universally recognize it. Well, it all depends on what one considers classic and what's classic to them. Right. No, I'm talking about iconic though. This is this yeah. is this is something that defined science fiction. Yeah. Uh, to the point where it actually leaves the genre. Where it tra- the, okay. It, yeah, it, I will it, agree with you. It there. transformed the genre. Everything after that had okay. to be held to that. As far as standard. transcending the genre, yeah. Or it, it basically said. You know, all sci-fi is here to go. No, sci-fi should be here, right? Um, because that's kind of like the William Tell overture. Um, yeah, uh, the Lone Ranger. Uh, also, but also Sprock there Zarathustra. Uh, the theme music, you know, da yeah, yeah, right. Um, exactly. Because you can't. It's it's like Baby Rhapsody. You cannot do it. Um, Speaking of pop culture references, man, has that been trotted out a lot in TV and movies? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wayne's World. Party time. Next time. All right. Anyways, you can't not do it. Thank you, Mike Myers. So, but yeah, it and the reason it did that was because it was so very accurate boring as fuck but accurate yeah. to the science to the science because the space scenes mm-hmm. no sound right no sound I mean it was completely silent and you know I just realized that the first whispered no sound probably didn't get picked up <laughs> but yeah the yeah. space scenes were done right the zero G was done right uh, you know, they had the dock in the you know in the middle of the space station and right. the ship turning, and it was just like it, it, it was it, it raised questions about who we were and what you know everything. What's well, interesting when you talk about the accuracy because it's like I, I I it's like I kind of it's like I appreciate that on an academic level, but then it's like my lizard brain is like, but that's not exciting or interesting or entertaining. So then and that's why the film technically underperformed at best and the box in its right. original Well, yeah, life. a lot of these things, a lot of these uh, films are, are uh, appreciated after their time, mm-hmm. after their heyday, at least after their initial run. Yeah. Uh, Blade Runner is another great example of that. Uh, Talk about an underperforming movie that became a cult. Oh, yeah. Classic. yeah. No doubt. And everything was by influential an, as well, pop culture. I mean, oh, followed up by an equally underperforming sequel. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that Blade Runner is the Tolkien of But also critically well received. Yeah. Um, Blade, Run- Blade Runner was like the the Tolkien of cyberpunk. Um, <laughs> I mean, because it, it, everything yeah. that we've seen in cyberpunk... Yeah, it really set a foundation for a lot of, uh, no pun intended with Isaac Asimov, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well played, yes, sir. Thank you. I see where you went yes, there. Yes, yes. Uh, oh. for, for all these things that followed it and were influenced by it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and I mean that in the best possible way because, you know, uh, often people balk at those things because they're like, oh, well, you're just imitating ripping off this. But it's like, well, I mean, as Plato said, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. There's nothing wrong with having a base of influence from something and then you're going to you know, you're going to find new ideas, new experiences from right. that. Uh, and I mean, obviously, I will look at Star Wars, right? Uh, Star Wars was, uh, which again, it's arguable as to whether it's technically sci-fi or not, because it's it's pretty much space fantasy. It's space opera, uh, yeah. Which space opera falls under, under But yeah, sci-fi. it's under the, the wide umbrella of sci-fi. Um, but it was, it itself was influenced by so many classic films and tropes and stories with like, you know, um, like the whole like princess rescue the princess thing, mm-hmm. with, like fairy tale type stuff. Oh, no, oh yeah, Flash just, Gordon and the space serials. All that mm-hmm. was surface and style. What makes yeah. Star Wars truly classic, though, is that it literally is classic. Well, um, okay. Star and, Wars. One of the thing, one of the big things about Star Wars, one of the things that does make it so very classic. No, it is the Ur. It is Ur classic because it is deliberately structured off of. The Joseph Campbell here. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly where I was going. That's yes. why. That, that's um, why. That's why I was going with yeah, this. Yeah, because that's um, why it holds its power. Right. Holds its power. Yeah, it has a lot of that unique surface level stuff, like you said, with the style and the presentation on that. But it has the traditional hero's narrative. Structure right, or here's right down to the magic freaking sword, you know, uh, yeah, the mystical mentor, Mm -hmm. yeah, all that very who dies, you know, part way through to inspire him to complete the journey, yeah, exactly, yeah, all the way down to the father, all the way down to the daddy issues, um, (laughs) but yeah, Star Wars, it it hews so closely to the monomyth. I wonder what Freud would have made of Star Wars, by the way. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of ground there, especially yeah. with, the, with the make-out sesh, oh. yeah. where after the fact they decided, hey, let's have Leia be his sister. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll just leave that there and we'll move on. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I get... <laughs> yeah, that was a record. Well, uh, yeah, what, what would what would Freud make of a lightsaber, I might, yeah, I might ask. Yeah. Just say nothing of Alien. Oh, God. <laughs> Alien is another one. Okay, now... Here and this is one of the things that Alien and and uh, Star Wars have in common. Uh-huh. Your over authority figure is oppressive and evil. Yeah. You have the Empire. In Alien, you have Wayland Yutani. Right. Uh, which you know when it came down to it, suddenly the you know suddenly the android uh, you know becomes a mechanical menace and has to be destroyed. Right. Um, you know, because he's really working for Wayland Utani's best interest, not the crew's. Right. Uh, which we see reflected again in Aliens. Yeah, yeah. Which would fall under that one as well. You know, uh, and Burke. the personage of Burke. Yeah, Carter Burke. Yeah, never was there a more a more well deserved death. Um, so yeah, I mean, it just overall, it was just a. It was a very much darker, and this these were you know. These were also, I think, products of their time, because by the mid to late 70s, there was starting to be this mistrust of government. Um, and then when Alien came out, it was, I think Neuromancer had already come out, the idea of the mega corporation. You know, companies were becoming too powerful. Uh-huh. 
So yeah, you we, see that in a lot of cyberpunk type stuff. Oh yeah, Shadowrun and all that. Yeah, even some of the stuff I'm doing is 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 looking at Shadowrun, big time cyberpunk, Neuromancer, all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, so we start to see this darker future because we're living in, and I think I think it was this whole idea of we are living in a time of hey everything's great, but we're starting to see the cracks. Yeah, you know. Um, and again, sci-fi becomes the vehicle to almost accurately point out the future. Well, I think it's interesting because um, <clears throat> a lot of that uh, malaise and mistrust of large, powerful corporations, but it's like they're just, ultimately, they're, those are also just made up of actual people. And mm-hmm. it's like, you, you have to, it's, you, you have to kind of, uh, it's like you have to have a, you have to have a, in my view, you have to have a society that has like, um, shared values and um, culture and stuff or else if nobody really if everyone's all disconnected and that's a lot that's another uh, convention that sci-fi explores is like when people don't have a real human connection and people are like you know trying to escape their well give a shadow one of like the better than life stuff and you know mm-hmm. those little vids and stuff and like right. if everyone is just off doing their own thing and this is especially prescient now with all the internet social media cell phones tablets everything everyone yeah. is sucked into a screen all the time um, you know that there's a real danger there if people are just like looking at numbers and screens and not really acknowledging people and their value of their life and dignity then right. it's easy for corporations to lose sight of taking care of their employees and being responsible in their communities it's just like well the bottom line's all that matters exactly. and the same thing with the government the government you know um, the government having the ends justify the means is like oh well we know best so it doesn't matter how many terrible things we do yeah, just trust so, us big yeah. brother again 1984 there's another good example oh um, 84 god which yeah. coined the phrase big brother yeah uh, which again I talked about earlier about how it's funny looking back on the dates and it's like well uh, it's creepy how many of those predictions have come true just not necessarily at 1984 right because now you have all the surveillance stuff and with a very open question of just exactly what the nature of 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 Big Brother actually is. Well, and you Orwell to... wrote it as an anti anti uh, um, anti communist. Yeah, uh, but I think it was and, and I think you know, it could just as easily be anti authoritarianism. Yeah, that would be a yeah. I mean, not to say that that's inaccurate, but authoritarian is a broader brush. Yeah. Now a lot of that is communist because that is the ultimate authoritarian. <laughs> you know. Which is which is really kind of which is really kind of ironic. Because right. Because of the empowering people. Okay. Right. Here's a, here's an example of how you can completely take the same the same piece and read it in two entirely different ways. Yeah. And that's Beerhoven's Starship Troopers. Right. Right. One group of people are t- take it in the same spirit that Heinlein originally, arguably, wrote the original and looked at it and said, okay, this is, ca- this is a send-up allegory warning about this particular type of authoritarian society. Uh-huh. And then there's the other, the other, the, then there's the other side that just looks at Starship Trooper and goes, hey, yeah, that's what we ought to be. Well, and, and the thing is, is that as a younger person, I read Starship Troopers, and the idea of of actually earning your vote, earning your right to vote, yeah. made perfect sense to me, because I was in a perfect position to be able to earn it. Right. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. Um, you know, 
and I concept. Had, yeah, I had a distinct lack of, of of you know idea about hey, you know what? A lot of the people can make contributions in different ways, right? Um, and, and still be you know considered productive members of society. Um, but you know also the world has changed drastically since then. Well, I don't <clears throat> I don't remember the specifics, but um, I did it in in the book. Um, mm-hmm. Do you recall if, if it had to be specifically military service or if it could just be considered service in general? Service in general. Okay, that's what I thought, and that's yeah. an important distinction because a lot of yeah. people conflate those things. Right, no, it wasn't just military service. You had to serve in some, like, civil service. Right, right. Um, which could, or in serving in the military didn't always mean combat. Right, right, exactly. Uh, if, you're, sure. if you're mobile infantry, then, you know, yeah, everybody fights. Yeah. But, and that was that was interesting. Yeah, I knew that it didn't necessarily have to be combat per se, but I just wasn't sure if it if it could be outside the military. Okay, so I was right about that then. Yeah, it, it would was be service in general, not, not necessarily the military. Right, any type any type of service to the overall government. That's a, that's an interesting see that's an interesting concept about the whole earning the vote thing and all that because. My, my initial reaction was like, yeah, that's actually great because there's a lot of idiots that just kind of cast votes like willy-nilly and they don't know anything about anything. Yeah. Uh, but then the more I thought about it, the more I disagreed with the concept because it became too much of worshipping at the altar of government where it's like yeah. everyone must directly serve this big monolithic thing. I'm like, well, yeah. is that such a great idea? I don't know. Right. There, there's so many ways that people contribute to society in the private sector, often more importantly than government service because oh, yeah. again all the, I mean uh, where does all the money that government uh, uses come from people citizens people. Exactly. it just taxes its citizens it doesn't create anything mm-hmm. uh, itself it merely administers what is there already right so I, I ultimately came to the conclusion I don't think that would be a good idea to have to have people have some arbitrary thing yeah. to earn their vote because the whole point is that we are free, we have inherent rights because we are just human beings because that are, uh, yeah. of course, obviously aren't harming others. You can't just go around killing people and still cast a vote Yeah, and, you know, you're in prison or you're executed. But yeah, but, and, yeah and, and I thought that was an interesting kind of journey there that, you know, my reaction to that. And like you said, it's a very much where you're at in your life at the time it influences mm-hmm. how you think about it. Obviously, if you're in the you know, you're in the Air Force, and, you know, yeah. you're like, yeah, that sounds pretty great. <laughs> you're like, I've earned my vote. <laughs> exactly, exactly, because I was that's where I was. But you know, as 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 I reread it, you know, a little more nuance. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. in civil service, but also as my understanding of government grew, it's like, no, wait, our whole democracy was based on taxation. Uh, you know, was republic based, to be technically. Yeah, our republic was you know the idea of no taxation without representation. Yeah. If you pay taxes, you voted, which right. is why we went from land ownership, which were the originally people, the only people who were taxed, right, right, to universal, uh, you know, to universal suffrage, um, because everybody pays taxes now. Yeah, because yeah, it would be a scenario where people would still be paying into the system, but then they wouldn't get a vote unless they did A and B. Right. So that's not yeah, that's yeah. not kosher with me. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why I, uh, which is why you know the whole that whole uh, was it Tea Party at one point was going oh we need to go back to land ownership yeah let's put let's put the votes back in the, in the but there may have been there may have been individuals or small groups within that that said that but I wouldn't say the, uh, the overall I, I followed it I followed the, the Tea Party movement fairly closely yeah. and I don't, there wasn't a well again it gets hard right because you have diffuse gra- grassroots yeah. groups so it's hard to say what the capital T Tea Party said about A yeah. or well, so, B because 
you know, yeah, you're talking and, about and organic movements. Well, there there was there were factions within the Tea Party, but yeah, uh, that were going, hey, let's go to land ownership. I'm, I'm sure there were, just like with factions in Occupy Wall Street, that are like, oh, we got to smash everything and yeah. destroy the system, man. Yeah, and, 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 like, and, and then, and then they then, take a break and go to McDonald's and play with their iPhone. And like, oh my God, right? It's like within there was hello, there was, the, you know, by the same token, you know, within the Tea Party, there were folks who had good ideas. Just like within Wall Street, Occupy Wall Street, there are folks who started a company that bought loans and forgave them. Well, the irony there is that um, you know free enterprise is what enables them to do so exactly. by not sacrificing their. Anyway, right. we're getting to a little too. I was going to say, I was about to say, kind of pulling this background. But it's hard to divorce it because that is what sci-fi does. It exactly. gets you to think exactly. about your exactly. society and your situation. Well, exactly. here's here's another thing I kind of want to. And it's not so much about classics as about the mutation of the genre. Yeah. Um, and we kind of touched it back and forth on this a little bit earlier. Um, but it's the idea that uh, what we are effectively experiencing at this particular point in time, and this is something that actually should have been, I should have probably brought it back in the news segment, but I didn't. It's all right, go for it. Um, was the rumor going around that um, Disney is effectively going to shut down all of Fox's genre properties, except for the stuff that they're going to absorb into the Marvel <coughs> Universe. I have no idea. I haven't heard this, and I'm not sure how... But this was something I just, like... I just learned yeah, about this I'm morning. I'm taking all that stuff fact. with a uh, shaker of salt. But it's the idea... A grain of salt. Several yeah. critics have actually brought this up and, and before. It's the idea that one company... In this case, Disney yeah. is effectively becoming a cultural hegemon. Right. Well, I do, I, and that kind of gets back to the concept of megacorps, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. No. You see, I, I, I do have a concern that when they own so much of the movie market, that it gets stale and uninteresting because there's not enough competition. Well, they're, they're, right. Well, and that, and it's going to get to the point where if they are, if they, if they get too much of it, the you know we're going to have to, unless of course you know Disney owns too many congressmen. Uh, the, the government's going to have to step in and go. Okay, Disney, you are now you are now eight different corporations, yeah. just like they did. Or no, out. we're not going to extend your copyrights. Yeah. yeah, that's a classic example of the moaning politicians. Is how yeah. it just conveniently seems that every time it gets yeah, the law <laughs> closed, changes. they just renew that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah the law changes are the, the yeah. But uh, from a creative standpoint, though, and this was actually something that some people are legitimately concerned about mm -hmm. Disney's corporate culture at least the image that it wants to present mm -hmm. um, is not exactly friendly to some of Fox properties like the Aliens franchise well okay that's the thing there though is that that's copyright of stuff that's already you know that's one corporation fighting well, against not another even, not, that's not just the copyright but they don't it doesn't fit the image that they want to try to present. Okay, it's not family, quote-unquote, family-friendly. That's all fine and good. Uh, that, I mean, that is its own separate issue. Yeah. But in today's sci-fi-like world, we become Jake Sisko uh, from Deep Space Nine. Because, remember, Jake, without having a job with a specific, you know, uh, was a reporter... During the during the Dominion War, uh, because the technology allowed him to do so, allowed him to file his you know his reports from the front. Uh, Jake said you know Jake wanted to be a writer, and in that era, it was something that was a that was a uh, perfectly valid and viable 
you know, uh, and as a beneficiary of our modern technology, um, as long as there, as long as the technology exists, someone's going to create it. Um, there is going to be there are going to be places where yeah, megacorps like that cannot control all creativity. So we we've got about six minutes left. <clears throat> um, we we've had some good interesting discussion here, but we have been kind of doing some broad kind of you know yeah. conceptual stuff. Let's let's try to squeeze in some good tangible examples and our thoughts on particular you know science fiction movies franchises. We we've already mentioned some of the obvious ones: yeah. Star Wars and Star Trek, uh, mm-hmm. Aliens. Uh, we touched on a little bit. Um, yeah. I think it is bare mission for people that have seen some of those movies, not necessarily mm-hmm. all of them. Alien and Aliens, plural, are two completely different movies. I think they're both great and for different reasons. They happen so, in the same universe. Yes, they do. And they are like Star Trek 1 and Star Trek 2. <laughs> <laughs> in that one is a great horror movie, yeah. and in Star Trek 1, one is a great, you know... Uh, science fiction film. Science fiction film. The other is an action film. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and Star Trek Two is a space battle action film. Uh, right. You know, it is, uh, you know, you get the the whole high concept first movie, mm-hmm. and then you get the, hey, let's uh, let's add some guns to that. <laughs> and add a lot more of them. Yeah. What's it's like a some... suit, some suit in a room smoking a cigar gun. Hey, that alien was really great, guys. Let's make 50 of them and throw them in a movie together. Yeah, yeah. It's more, it's better. <laughs> yeah, now, luckily, they had amazing talent, and it was great. Yeah, and the other thing about that, uh, sci-fi has given us <laughs> a broken, you know, <coughs> Alien and Aliens introduced a female character who was not Sarah Connor. Right. Yeah, Ripley uh, is legendary. Yeah, Ripley is a badass without having does, to be a military she had, And she actually predates Sarah Connor. She does. She does. 79 was when Alien came out. Yeah. yeah. And, right. and uh, Sarah Connor, but Sarah, but then again, by the same token, Sarah Connor was a waitress who turned into a military badass. Yeah. Uh, Ripley was, you know, still a forklift driver who rose to the situation. So, I mean, both both situations, you have, you know, you it, it, real, it, it realized that, hey, you know, girls can do this shit, too. Um, and, um, or women can do this shit. Uh, right, right. Um, and it, so, you know, it, but yeah, sci-fi along the way, Babylon 5 completely, uh, you know, paved the way for long-form storytelling in television series, which um, the Marvel Universe took into their movies. Yeah. Because from Iron Man to, uh, to Avengers 4, almost everything <coughs> has had a tie-in to the Infinity Gauntlet storyline. Which some people might argue that actually um, Disney with the MCU is actually taking it, the concept. I don't think so. To a, to a point where, well, Disney it's almost too much. Well, no. See, the thing is, is that Disney has done what <coughs> Stan Lee has borrowed heavily from Stan Lee's uh, original comic approach. Everything is right. in a shared universe, and. 
you can reference things, you know. At, well, and that's why you had everything happening in New York for the most part, right? right. Marvel Comics, or was, or, or you, you know, could you know you talk about hey, share. this thing happened, and then there would be that little panel, that little that little uh, C issue number yeah. thirty five. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but nowhere near to the extent of the films where they. No, no, it was even worse. Yeah, no, I, Ben is definitely correct. I've, I've seen <laughs> classic comics that yeah. are just like little squares. And to be fair, that's because they wanted to sell comics. But yeah, and everything, regardless everything. of why it happened, it happened. Yeah, and, and so Disney has taken... You and know, you can say, yeah, and I didn't like that, and that's great. I, but, just This is, yeah, it's it, back but, a long time. In the, yeah, and, and in recent eras, Marvel has gone... No, whatever happened to the comic is only what happened to the comic. Well, I think side. for the most part, at least on the Marvel side of things, that the whole shared uh, universe thing hasn't really bugged me because I don't felt that it's ever really been intrusive to me. Right. I haven't. It hasn't been jarring for me as for like mid movie. It's not like the comic where it's like, yeah, it's actually taking up a decent chunk of space just to say, hey, buy your other stuff. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I it's mean, a, it's a very fine and delicate balance that. And every every person's gonna think gonna have their own opinion on whether or not Marvel's been able to walk that balance. I personally, at yeah. least in terms of the movies, and I know I'm burning time here. I'm actually more enthused for something like Venom than I am about the latest Marvel offering because I'm just tired of seeing everything oh, fed yeah. into. I the, agree, and I feel this. like that is kind of gonna be a trend. Is that there's gonna be a natural. Not, I don't want to say backlash because people aren't upset or anything. They're still buying the movies, but like a counterbalance to okay, everything doesn't have to be connected all the time. Let's just right. well, let's I just mean, watch a movie for its own sake and enjoy it. Well, and that Ant Man was was the first in that direction. Yeah. Ant-Man went, really was the first thing that went in that direction. It borrowed from things. Yeah, there'll be more self-contained things, I think, in that space. Yeah, because you had Ant-Man, you had, I mean, Black Panther did its own thing. <coughs> right. You know, um, even Iron Man did its own thing. Captain America and the Avengers seem to be the two that are, because Captain America's Civil War was one of the better Avengers movies. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, know. Avengers 2.5. <laughs> yeah, Avengers 2.5, yeah. Uh, my, uh, my initial reaction, I finally got to see Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh-huh. And my initial reaction was, Molly, that was a great Iron Man movie. Uh, and I, I would disagree. I would disagree Because it was, well. it was a great Spider-Man movie. Uh, because, you know... But, but just about every aspect of Peter Parker in that film was subsumed by some subset of the larger MCU. Yeah. Either Tony or Happy. No, eh, I don't really. I mean, no, and, and we're getting we're getting off. Yeah, we're getting to the point where we're getting off subject. Yeah, but to the point though where even his costume was made by Tony. But not when it Peter Parker's a scientific genius in his own right. Yeah, and he figured out how to hack that costume. And I, you know, but we're getting yeah, off. Yeah, I mean, I, it's so we're it getting gets off. into inconsequential detail. I don't think yeah. that the, the specifics of his costume necessarily is going to. Yeah, I, it, yeah. But, but getting back to classic sci-fi, classic sci-fi, I think, uh, has given us a lot of properties to work with, but it's also showed us how to how to take the hero's journey and put it into into effect. But again, it's also you know it's also showed us so many possibilities, uh, and even in the darkest moments, I, I think it has always showed us a possibility of a better future. Because in the end, classic sci-fi has also always been about resisting. Yeah, I mean, you know, even if the stuff, even even with the darker stuff, like, okay, well, it's a cautionary tale, and this didn't actually happen, so that means we have a chance to course correct. 
even yeah. in the darker stuff, sometimes there's those, you know, mm-hmm. those, those rays this of light, is, right? Yeah, exactly. But, and then, you know, then again, Star Wars, all about resisting. Uh, aliens, in the end, ended up being about resisting Wailing Yutani. Uh, you know, even in my personal one, Alien, uh, the, the, the fourth one, not the third one. Um, you mean Resurrection? Resurrection ended up being about resisting, you know, about saving the world from the, you know, the, uh, you know, from the, the evil corporate overlords. Um, so it has always been about resisting. It has always been about this is where we could go. This is how we fight that. So um, we're, we're pretty much out of time here. So quick little round table here. Um, final thoughts on just, uh, I, I guess, just... Um, classic sci-fi general as far as like um, what your I would say I'll just say um, a quick hit here like uh, a personal favorite off the top of your head and um, how it's influenced you so Ben we'll start with you and we'll go back around to me oh man okay so I've got to go with Star Wars Star Wars was my personal favorite Uh, it, it it was my um it was my haven as a, as a creative growing uh-huh. up and it showed me anything was possible so and so many times my parents would tell me as a you know when I was being imaginative I had to get my head out of Star Wars which is ironic because right. for, for a while there that's how I made my living well and, and from a meta level I mean the story of Luke is actually doing Star Wars mm-hmm. is, is that in and of itself is a story about anything being possible and the creativity and all that exactly you know going from being a farm boy to being you know, you know, being Luke fucking Skywalker. Yep. So, Greg, tag, you're it, man. It doesn't have to be profound, just things that come to mind. Literally, one of my earliest memories as a child was watching um, Beyond the Farthest Star. It's an episode of uh, the animated version of Star Trek. Uh-huh. Is literally one of my earliest memories. So, is that your favorite franchise? Oh, definitely. Okay, I, I dig that. I dig that. That's that's a. Um, and I've the I've that that particular memory, but also, um, Kirk's soliloquy from the from the end of Mirror Mirror. When he was talking to Mirror Spock, uh, his last line before he was returned to, to return to his own his own universe was when he looked at Spock, and he said, "In every revolution, there is one man with a vision." And I don't know. It's just it's that's always struck me as being terribly profound. Yeah, I think that. Yeah. And it's a message. I think we need, and I know this really isn't the place to get too far into the weeds politically, but given our present circumstance, that is a profundity that I think that we need. We need the one man with a vision to counteract the man with the vision. (laughs) With the other vision, yeah. Mike? Um, Yeah, I I, I don't want to piggyback too much, but I, I would think that Star Wars would probably be my gut reaction as well. Of course, you know, just saying Star Wars, that's a pretty wide net, because now there's been so many, <laughs> you know, iterations and everything. But yeah, I mean, you know, classic original trilogy, of course. Um, 
I just, uh, well, I guess, I mean, that was kind of a gateway to uh, to get more interested in sci-fi for one thing. Yeah. Um, and then just, uh, yeah, just, you know, um, I, I guess just the whole, like, uh, well, the whole pop culture effect that it had, I mean, I, I think um, it, had, it, had, it kind of bridged the gap of um, how sci like, where sci-fi was mm-hmm. uh, in the mainstream to like kind of how where it, where it uh, where it went ultimately and so it was kind of this shared cultural language you know mm-hmm. like you know making friends in school and uh, and beyond that just kind of having that kind of shared like experience and interest and enthusiasm for something mm-hmm. uh, and something that's relatively wholesome you know as well mm-hmm. um, it was just really uh, really cool and um you know, I think it kind of, it lends itself to that thing where it's like people kind of dip their toe in the water and it's like, oh, okay, well, we have this shared interest in this thing. Okay, I can open up a little bit and be like, well, have you seen or read or heard or experienced this? And you kind of have that permission to not be like, oh, well, is this too nerdy? Is this too, is this too, like, insular or whatever? Like, people can just kind of, and that's what, going back to the whole geek thing, that is what being a geek means, at least in my definition of it, is... Um, many traditional definitions of just someone that is passionately enthusiastic about a thing mm-hmm. and then shares said thing with others. Uh, you don't necessarily have to have, you know, background A or intellect level B or whatever. It's just mm-hmm. that is enough because after all, there's geeks for all things, sports and music and theater oh. and video games and geeks movie and TV. And, exactly. It's, you know, I mean, if th- there are people out there that are fantasy football geeks and are in deep denial that they're actually a geek, but it <laughs> right. doesn't. Their acknowledgement of it does not mean it is not true. Come right. to the dork side. We have cookies. <laughs> yes, right. we have well, cookies. And, and, and I think I think you raised an important point. I think that would be our, our final thought on this uh, is that we have a shared language. It's like boot camp for anyone in the military. Yeah, it's yep. like being you know it, it is our. It is our universal. We have our universal translator, right? Uh, in that, you know, we have things like Star Wars or Star Trek that we was like, oh, you like that too, and suddenly we gain common ground as human beings, right? Right. And we suddenly find that we actually do speak the same language. And and with the whole you know concept of the episode being classic sci-fi, that in and of itself. There are many things people haven't seen movie A, people haven't seen TV series B, people weren't around during the genre, uh, for yeah. example, uh, um, or not genre, but uh, era, rather. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, people looking people looking back at old stuff and appreciating it from a different perspective, like when you talked about Starship Troopers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people just kind of, uh, I think that's, that's a big concept of sci-fi is opening your mind and um, having different experiences and kind of putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And um, I think that's a good thought to leave on is, um, you know, there's there's a lot of classic stuff you may not have seen. Check it out. There may be some newer stuff that you, that you haven't uh, seen, and uh, that's valid too. And everything is just, uh, you know, if it's quality stuff, it is just a classic waiting to become a classic because, right. you know, go back far enough everything was new star wars was a new buzzy thing when it came out you know so i just encourage people to kind of yeah yeah exactly yeah a lot of people poo-pooed it at the time before it became a big cultural phenomenon i just encourage people to kind of approach all that stuff with an open mind you know yeah because geekdom does bring people together who would otherwise never meet that's what it's all about folks so i will leave it on that note and uh thank you again 
for listening to Geek Fanthology. So, so signing off is producer Mike. Yes, producer Mike signing out. And Ben, the one true Ben, and and Greg, of course. Say good, yeah. Say good night, Greg. Good night, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Live long and prosper. May the force be with you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This podcast is a production of Working Theory Productions. It was brought to you by the letter Y and the number 55. Opening theme is Ultra Mega Hyperstorm, and ending theme is March of the Mind, both by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoyed this podcast, or know someone who would, please consider sharing it on your social media, sending us an email, or leaving us a comment. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave us a rating. We read everything. If you really enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us, either by making a one-time donation on our website through PayPal, or a reoccurring one at Patreon at patreon.com slash working theory. A final thought. You didn't think you would be able to go an entire episode without hearing my voice, did you?